know, Christmas uh, can be very complicated. It can complicate things, right? Depending on your family or extended family, right, things can even get even more complicated. I was uh, talking to a couple, and both of them come from divorced homes, and so they were talking about how complicated and exhausting Christmas is because they said every single Christmas we have to go to four different houses, and by the end of it, we're just wiped out. Again, it just, Christmas time just kind of complicates things. Christmas can get complicated if, if, if one of your parents is maybe now with, uh, that are divorced and now is with somebody new and the other one is still single and possibly even still hurt or bitter over how things went down. And, and both of them are putting pressure on you to spend Christmas with them. See, just, just this time of year, things get complicated. And Christmas gets complicated about possibly for some of you, that, and you know this because when you have extended family that come or you have some you know, parties or whatever's going on and there's a, there's a family member that has an addiction and they're living in that addiction and so it makes it difficult because everybody else is totally aware of the awkward and the uncomfortableness of it except for the person with the problem. See, Christmas is complicated. Christmas complicates our schedules, doesn't it? I mean, you know, when, when this is not, this season is not a time of rest for us. It just complicates things for us. You know, we've either, we're either hosting parties or we're going to parties. We're either buying food and preparing food. We're, we're buying gifts and wrapping gifts and taking gifts. You've got to have this good gift and this white elephant gift. You've got, you've got all this stuff. You've got kids' events that you're going to. You've got, a, you've got you know, if your kids are in sports, they've got Christmas tournaments. You've, you've got all this stuff that you've got to take care of. You've got to get babysitters forever you're going, right? All this different stuff that you, at the end of the day, you're just trying to get things done because Christmas is incredibly complicated. See, I see this a lot of marriages. This time of year can really complicate things in marriage. And, and I, ladies, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to single you out, but I don't want you to take any offense to this uh, because it's not all of you, but there's a good majority of you that have a tendency. I'm not going to go as strong as say lie right, to your husbands, but, but um, I, I would say that you may be kind of deceiving. Here, here's how this goes down, guys. You might, you might be able to relate to this. So like when you go to your wife and say, honey, like what do you want for Christmas? And she says, oh, nothing. <laughs> right? And as a guy, like as a dude, you're just going, okay, cool. Like, you know, all right, great. And then Christmas Day comes, okay? Here's what happens. Christmas Day comes, and the kids are around, and mommy's opening up her very few, very few. And the few that she opens, there's not a single one in there from daddy. And all of a sudden, based on the look and how freezing cold the room just got, you know something's wrong right? And all of a sudden, because here's, here's the problem, ladies, you need to understand. Here's the problem. Your husband thought when you said nothing, like you literally meant nothing. Like that's what he thought. But he didn't realize, guys, here's the clue. Nothing is code word for get me something that I really like because I shouldn't have to tell you what to get me, right? <laughs> now, <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. My wife does not fall into that category. I'm very thankful for that. She, in fact, she communicates to me the entire year of what she wants me to get her uh, all the way through. And so I'm super blessed, uh, <laughs> kinda. But in the midst of 
But in the midst of all the complexities of Christmas, the one thing that should not be complicated is the message of Christmas. The message should be crystal clear. So since I, <laughs> I can't uncomplicate your life and I can't uncomplicate your schedule, but my hope this morning is to uncomplicate the message of Christmas for you. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to Luke chapter 2, and, and we're going to be looking at a familiar passage. We looked at it even last week, and so if you're a guest in here today, I just want you to know, thanks for coming. We thoroughly enjoy having you. Thanks for getting through all the rain and the storm. I wake up super early, and, and, uh, and so it was storming pretty hard and lightning pretty hard in the middle of the night, and so uh, I, was, I was like, man, attendance is going to be <laughs> just people just like, oh, we'll stay home and watch it. And uh, so if you're watching online, thanks uh, for not being, no, just kidding, Appreciate you tuning in as well, but we just want you to know we're incredibly grateful that you are here. And so my hope this morning uh, is that you will walk away with clarity. So here's the thing. If, if you feel like you're clear on the message of Christmas, could you sit down with somebody else and articulate it in a very simple, clear way? If not, I really want you to listen. If you're not so clear on Christmas, I really want you to dial in and listen because this morning, my whole goal is when you leave, you are crystal clear so that you'll understand. Luke chapter 2, let's jump down to verse 8. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. This is where we get the English word gospel. So the gospel, as we might, you might be familiar with that term, it really means good news. But there were gospel carriers that would go around. They were, they were carriers of good news. And so, so again, he's saying, I bring you good news that will cause great joy. This news is so Good that there is going to be so much joy just being just 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 filling your soul. He says, and here's who it's for. There will be cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now listen to me. If there is anything about the story of God rescuing and redeeming you that is not good news to you, then possibly what got communicated to you was distorted. If anything about the message of God rescuing you or redeeming you for somehow, some way, if some way that became not good news to you, it's because that message was distorted. See, when, when my wife comes home or when I come home and I say, honey, you know, I've got good news. All of a sudden on her mind or if she says it to me on my mind, I'm not going, oh, great, what is it? That's not what we're thinking. When, when, when your spouse, when your loved one says, hey, I've got new, good news, the, the expected response on the other person after you tell them the new, good news should be, that's awesome, that's amazing, that's great. See, good news means things got better. That's what it means. That's what we're talking about. Th things are getting better. Like, like, good news is you passed the exam. 
Good news is you got an unexpected financial blessing. Good news is there's no more cancer. See, good news means that things are going to get better. When somebody says, I've got good news, think about it. You're not thinking, oh, great, I've got a to-do list. Because you know as well as I do, that's not good news. Like, that's awful news, right? I mean, good news the angel said, he says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. And what's powerful, it's 100% good news for all the people. And so if your feelings about God, or if your feelings about Jesus, or your feelings or your thoughts about Christianity is anything less than good news, perhaps wherever you heard it, perhaps whoever communicated to you just wasn't clear. In fact, they were probably confusing and just made things more complicated. See, the good news is not try harder. The good news is not be more committed, make more promises, give more money. That's, that's not good news. That's not the good news. You say, well, if that's not the good news, what is? And here's what's so intriguing. The Apostle John, now, now, now remember, the, the Apostle John is different than John the Baptist, so those are two totally different people. The Apostle John was so close to Jesus, like he knew Jesus. He was incredibly close to Jesus. In fact, when Jesus, this is how close he was to Jesus, when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus looked down at John and he said, John, I want you to take care of my mother Mary. Like, who would you, if, if in your, your dying moment and you've, you've got to have somebody take care of who are you going to ask to take care of your mother? Like, it's going to be somebody that you trust. It's going to be somebody that, you, that, that, that is super close to you. And not only was, G, was John close to Jesus, but like, be, you know, at, at that time, you know, at the end of his life, but he was so close to Jesus because he saw also from the very beginning, he was with Jesus from the very beginning, he saw Jesus do all these miracles. He saw Jesus had all this teaching. He saw, he saw Jesus be crucified. He saw an empty tomb. He saw the resurrected body. John even sat and had dinner with Jesus after the resurrection. Like, like, he spent all kinds of time with Jesus. And so as John is getting older, he's writing down his experiences and the teaching of Jesus. Now, again, just, just imagine if you had this gift, and maybe some of you have had this, where you have a great-great-grandfather like, or a great-great-grandmother, and you can sit down with them, and, you, and, and they just love to share about their history and their culture and their past experiences, and you just want to sit at their feet. Like, you just want to sit there and listen and ask questions, and it's incredible because they're sharing about a time where you weren't there, and it's amazing. And see, this is what John is providing for us, and John is writing these things down, but these just aren't stories. Like this really happened. Like John was an eyewitness. He was with them from the beginning and he wrote this stuff down and people were so intrigued. Like they wanted to hear more and so then they would copy what John wrote down and then they would circulate it all around the known world. And again, just imagine, just imagine for you and I, like if we actually got to get a letter from somebody that was like 
really with Jesus and sat with Jesus and saw Jesus do those miracles and saw all that stuff. Like if we actually got to sit there and be able, like if there was somebody that was going to come into town, you would buy tickets. Like, like you could just ask any question. See, the beauty of the Gospels and the Scripture, which is different than the Gospel, right? But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they wrote letters. They were eyewitness accounts, and we have it. Like, you get to see what these eyewitnesses who were actually with Jesus actually wrote. So John is writing, and he's writing about this story with this religious leader named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is a, like I mentioned, he's a, he's a religious leader, but he goes to see Jesus at night because he doesn't want anybody to really know that he's visiting Jesus because the Pharisees and, you know, they, 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 just, they just had it in for him. And so he kind of was super curious and, he, and so he begins this dialogue and John's just writing and Nicodemus asks Jesus a question and Jesus answers it. And then Nicodemus asks Jesus another question and Jesus answers it. And Nicodemus asks him another question and Jesus is incredibly patient and he answers it because he wants Nicodemus to understand who Jesus, who he really is. And then in the midst of it, John captures this unbelievable moment with probably the most famous verse of all of scripture. And this verse is so powerful and John had no clue it was going to be so powerful, but he captures the essence of the good news that the angels proclaimed the night that Jesus was born. I'm just telling you, if you're here today, if you're tuning in online, and you wouldn't even maybe even consider yourself a Christian, here's my hope for you. Maybe, maybe it's because you had a bad church experience or maybe, maybe you did business with another Christian. Maybe somebody did or said something to you that was incredibly hurtful or rude and it just turned you off and that's why you've said no. Please hear me. My hope today is that I'm gonna explain the good news to you so clearly that if you're going to say no, and that's your prerogative, but you're going to be clear on what you're saying no to. So let's look at this. Most power, most, most probably famous verse in the entire Bible. If you don't even read your Bible, you might even be familiar with it because you saw it at a football game and you're like, what does that mean? And you kind of looked it up and you're like, oh, okay. Right? Here's what it is. John 3:16. But I want you to listen because this is going to really clear some things up for you for Christmas. John says this, and he's writing. This is, this is during the dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus. And he says, and Jesus, this is Jesus speaking. John's just capturing it. He says, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave. Because that's what you do when you love. You give. And look what he gave. He gave the most precious gift. He gave his one and only Son. Now you've got to understand because if, if this culture, you would have to understand what they understood, which was Greek mythology and Roman history. This is first century. See, if, if, if they knew, the people of that day knew, the gods don't love people. Because if my army beats your army, it means my God's more powerful than your God. If something bad happens to us, it's because our gods are punishing us. They knew, no matter what it was, the gods do not 
love us. So John, think about this. John is writing in the midst of this culture, and he's thinking back on his encounters that he's had with Jesus. And he's like, hey, you guys, listen, I know what you, th- I know what you always al- already understand because of our culture. I know what you already think, but you need to hear this. Like, you need to hear this because this is so different than anything you've understood. For God so loved, not just the Jews, for God so loved the world that he gave to us his one and only son. And what's so beautiful is not only did God the Father love you that he gave, he gave his son, but Jesus also loved you that he also gave. What did he give? His life. I mean, what greater act of love could he extend to you than to give his life for you? See, just just that alone is good news. Just that alone. See, but think about it. The God of the universe, the one who created you, the one who created the, the stars and the galaxies, the, 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 the one who knows all the hairs or the lack thereof on your head, the, the, the one who knows you literally, the God of the universe that knows you by name, like knows you and your personality. Absolutely loves you and cares about you. And then he extended to you by giving you the most precious gift, Jesus. And literally John could have finished there and that would have been good news, but he goes on and it's, it's almost, the way John's writing, it's almost as if he invites you and I into the story. So he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, look at this, that whoever, and in the Greek, that means whoever, right? I mean, it's, it, what he's saying is like, it's, it's for everyone, like Jew, Gentile, Greek, Roman, men, women, Republican, Democrat, like, like no matter who it is, like it, it is available to whoever, and the, then it goes on, whoever believes in him. Notice it doesn't say whoever rededicates. It doesn't say whoever promises. It doesn't say whoever commits a whole lot. It doesn't say whoever gives. It says whoever believes in him. And this is what is so fascinating to me, and you need to write this stuff down. I'm going to tell you something really fascinating. I mean this. This moment that John is writing these two Greek words, the word for believe and the word in, and these two words together have never shown up like that until the Greek New Testament was written. So that needs to stand out to you for a moment, and here's why. There is no Greek word for our English word trust. And so the, 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 they have the word belief, like you could, you could say believe all day long. So when it comes to the word believe, it would be like saying, I believe in love. I believe in my team. I believe in God. Like, like there's all kinds of belief. And John knew just belief 
wouldn't cut it. So he uses a different preposition because he knew a lots of people believed in lots of stuff, right? The Bible in the book of James says, even the demons believe, right? And it's, he's referencing to, to, to God. And so, so again, just, just belief in and of itself, he, he knew that that wasn't going to be enough. So John uses this preposition, and this is the first time these two Greek words show up together anywhere. And he uses this preposition that literally means into, okay? And what he's talking about is there, there is a difference between believe that something exists or believe that something is true. He says, I want, the point is, I want you to believe in. I want you to trust in someone. And so John is saying that if you want God's gift of love to you, then you must not do something. You must believe in, you must trust in Jesus for what he did. In fact, uh, do this for me. If everybody's sitting down, if you could just pick your feet up, just, just for a moment, just pick your feet up for a second, all right? And this proves my point. You're like, what in the world are you talking about? Here, here's what I'm talking about. When you came in, probably every single person in this room you found a seat, and you just sat in it. You believed that the chair would hold you up. I doubt any of you were looking underneath to make sure all the bolts and all that kind of stuff, and make sure it's sturdy, and then you kind of come and sit here, right? And you're like this the whole time. Like, no, you just, you just believe. Like, you, you believed in it. Here's the difference between I believe in the chair and trust is when you take your feet off the ground, you put your full weight in this for me, in this stool, to be able to hold me up. You put your full weight of your body in that chair, expecting it, right, with the expectation that it's going to hold you. Belief wouldn't be keeping it down like this. Trust is putting the full weight. So what John's trying to help us understand, when I put the full weight of my eternity in Jesus, he says, we get something. There's a gift on the other end of this. And what we get is this beautiful thing. He says, for, you know, for those who believe in Jesus, that you should not perish, but you have eternal life. And I want you to listen to me. It would be okay if you need to investigate and you need to see before you sat down. The investigation doesn't mean you lack trust. It just means... You wanted to do more homework on what you were going to put your trust in. Because our natural state is perishing. The beauty of the good news is what Jesus gives us is eternal life, not perishing away eternally from, from him. Let me, let, so here's, I'm going, to, I'm going to try to make this super clear for you. All right, write this down. You want to know what Christmas is about? You want to know about the good news? Here it is. God loves, God gives. We believe, we receive. It's super clear. When God loves, he gives. And when we believe, when we trust in, we receive. Well, what do we, what do we receive? Well, John tells us we receive eternal life. Eternal life, listen to me, eternal life is not a destination. 
Eternal life is, is not playing a harp. Eternal life is, is not flying around on a cloud in heaven. That's not eternal life. Is there a heaven? Yes, but that's not what, what, what we're trying to understand is eternal life is really a relationship, a growing intimate relationship with Jesus. You say, well, how do we know that? Just listen to what Jesus said. John captured it. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted me authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him. Notice it didn't say earned. It says give. It's a gift. Now, verse 3, here it is. Now, this, this is Jesus speaking. He says, now, this is eternal life, that they know you. See, that word know in, in Greek literally means to know in a completed sense. It's a highly relational term. It's meaning like I fully know you. I intimately, like I'm growing in my, my understanding and knowledge of you. So he says, no, this is eternal life, that you know you and the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Do you see how relational this is? Think about it. This is how relational God is. And this is how relational this is. God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son for you so that he could pay the ultimate price for you, that you could put your trust in him. And when you put your trust in him, God says, I will give you eternal life. Think about how relational this is. And not only will I give you eternal life, I'm going to call you a son or a daughter. And not only that, I'm going to make you a co-heir with Jesus. Now think about this. Think about it. What did you do to earn any of it? Nothing. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he wants to bestow to you. That's how much he has gone to great lengths to care for you. Now, let me ask, is that good news? Again, you did nothing to earn it. It's not about performing. It's not about trying to have perfect attendance. But it's God saying, I love you so much, not because of anything that you did. Here's why. God's saying, I made you. I created you and I know you. And I'm gonna initiate this relationship by sending my son down to this earth, leaving paradise to come down, take on the form of a man and pay the price tag of your sin that none of us in here, including myself, could ever pay. And when you choose to receive the gift that has been given and put your trust in him, he says, you will receive, you will be granted eternal life. That's amazing news. That's what Christmas is all about. In fact, I want you to go back to John 3 because here's the shocker for most people. Most people have no clue there's actually a verse 17 and a verse 18 because they never get past verse 16, right? They're like, oh, I didn't even know there was two other verses. And, and I'm telling you, those, these two verses are powerful. In fact, I've actually thought about doing a series uh, all, all about like the most powerful verse that people kind of memorize and they know, and then the verses after it because they're so power, more powerful sometimes and we always miss them. But anyway, John chapter three, verse 17, check this out. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. In other words, he didn't send, he didn't send Jesus down here wagging his finger as a way to condemn you. You know why? We're already condemned because we live in a condemned world. So he didn't send him to reinforce how condemned we are. In fact, he did the opposite. He says he sends him because, again, sending a condemner would not be good news. That'd be regretful news. It'd be awful news. But he sent not to condemn, but to save. That's why Jesus came as a savior. Now look at verse 18. He says, whoever believes in who trusts in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned. Again, it's the same thing we just talked about. But again, whoever chooses to put your trust in Jesus, you go, well, what about this person? And they did all this other stuff. Whoever, this is the part some of you don't like. Because you think there should be some kind of standard. Like only certain people, oh, it's not fair if they do all these things and then they just put their faith in Jesus at the end and that's not right, that's not fair. And it's just as much not fair that he made it available to you too. Because none of it is based on our ability to earn it. And so it's just grace. And so he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. That is the beauty of this whole thing. So again, let's, let's, let's go through this. I want you to personalize. God loved. Who did he love? Come on, who did he love? Yeah, the world. Now personalize it. Who did he love? You, me. So God loves, God gave. What did God give? Yeah, his son. What's his name? Yeah, it's not enough to say, I just believe in God. No, 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 no. That's why James says even the demons believe. God gave his son, Jesus. So when we believe, who do we, what do we believe? What do we trust in? Come on, what do we trust in? All right, I'm gonna, listen, I'm telling you, this isn't hard. You can say the name Jesus in church. Like, seriously. Like, we believe in Hey, there you go. And if we believe and we put our trust in Jesus, we receive what? What did he say? Eternal life. That's the, that's the simplicity of the gospel. You should be able to tell anybody that. If you've been saying no because of all the other reasons, this is the beautiful good news that you're saying no to. If you want to stay in that place, again, I can't, it's not my job to convince you otherwise. All I'm trying to do is clearly articulate the beauty and the simplicity of the grace that God has extended to you through his son Jesus, and he's made it available to every single person on this planet. And so when people say, oh, I just think, you know, Christianity, it's so, you know, it's, it's only Jesus, it's the only way. Okay, I'll challenge it. Let me ask you this. How is it so, uh, so exclusive? Everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. Everybody gets in the same way. And it's been paid for, and it's been given as a gift. And it's been made available to every single person and it's offered to you. How is that exclusive? It's available to every. God loves you. 
And so when we come back to the simplicity of this, just, it's just because God loves you and he's merciful to you and he's gracious to you and that is the good news. God loves, God gives. We believe, we receive. That's the good news. So listen, Luke 2 says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah the Lord. So my question for you this morning, have you personalized this story? Like legit, have you really personalized or has there been so much angst and hurt and pain between you and God or you and others that you've, you've continued to make it a story in a book around Christmas time? Because if you're trusting in your ability to be a good person or going to church or doing nice things for others, I'm just telling you, what God says is that doesn't cut it. Because really, when you believe that, you're saying to God that what he provided wasn't enough. Like Jesus, that was really kind of you to go through that persecution and suffering and crucifixion. But for some reason, I just think I've got to add to what you did. And God says, no. See, and God gets to be God. He gets to make the rules, so to speak. And so if he says, it's gonna be a gift, and I'm gonna make it available to everyone, and that literally means everyone, and it's gonna come through you trusting and believing in my son, then that's it. Because that's what he says. And he says, when you believe in Jesus alone, it's not Jesus plus, it's Jesus and Jesus. So when you put your weight and trust in Christ as your Savior, he says, I will grant you, I will give you eternal life. See, Jesus didn't come to complicate your life. Jesus came to set you free. Jesus came to offer you the beauty of eternal life. And so the uncomplicated message of Christmas is God loves you, God gave his son to you. When you believe in Jesus, you will receive eternal life. And that's the uncomplicated, clear message of Jesus. Now the good news is he gives you the choice. Now what will you do with it? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the incredible gift that you've given us. And I know it's so easy for us to complicate things. It's so easy for us to allow the schedules in our life and expectations and all the different parties and the food and the gifts and the babysitting and the, the, the things we've got to wrap and the kids' schedules at school. And as a teacher, I've got to do all these things and I've got all these other things I've got to take care of. And, and it's so easy to go through this season and totally miss the beauty of the good news that should cause us great joy, not more weariness. And so Lord, my hope and my prayer, if you're sitting here today or tuning in online, my hope is that this became incredibly clear. And so if today, if you're saying that's the first time I've really understood what Christmas and what God really did through his son, then I just want right where you're sitting, wherever it is, if it's in here, if it's in wherever you are, you just tell God, 
God, today, I want that eternal life. I want that relationship with you. I want to know without a doubt that I'm going to spend eternity with you. And so you just tell God, God, I know my sin separated me from you. And there was nothing I could do to ever pay the price tag on my life. But out of your love for me, you sent your one and only son down to this earth to pay the price for me. And you said whoever, and so I'm going to personalize it. So for me, I'm putting my trust in you, Jesus. Not you plus other things, just you, Jesus. Because I want this relationship. I need saving. So you just tell God. And the beauty is that when you do, he says, I will call you now a son or a daughter of mine. You're a part of the family of God. And so we're going to have people down front. And so if you want to talk to somebody, please let us know. Because we want to help you understand what it means to walk with Jesus. But even as we sing this last song, if you're here today and you want to know how to share that, this is the simple way of sharing the good news of Jesus. So my hope and my prayer is we just don't talk about believing in God. Because, yes, that's great and that's wonderful. We... It's all for God's glory. But we need to learn how to articulate the beauty and the majesty of the name of Jesus. And so it's because of your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.